Canes teams aren't winning at home, but the, but the Canes are. Do I have to remind you about last year in the second round? No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't, because I'll let last year be last year, Brian Murphy. Canes won game one last year, right? Yeah, Beat the and Rangers. They, and they, and they did they game, win game two as well? They did win game two. But but they didn't win the series. No, they didn't. No. Why you got to dig up old <laughs> scars like this? You know what, Brian? That's fine. You know what? I'm going to let that slide right now, because we're going to bring on Walt Ruff, Hurricanes.com on the Heaster Automotive Group hotline. All right, Walt. This series is a wrap, right? Right? After, after yesterday's game, they're going to do this three more times. Series is done, right? Right? Yeah, this is my, as much as I'd love that, you got me sitting here cringing, not only wondering about what happened last year, but, you know, reflecting on what happened during the first two games of the series between the Rangers and Devils. Yeah. Okay, that's a fair point. Why, see, you and Brian are bringing the mood down right now, Walt, and I don't appreciate this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like I said, I, I hope your statement is true, but uh, I don't know that I have the same level of faith right now. I, that That's a fair point. But in all honesty, the Devils team that we saw last night on the ice is not the Devils team that we're going to see in Game 2. No, and I think that's a, a great way to put it because of how – emotional their victory in game seven was over the Rangers just 48 hours before. I think it's very fair to expect a much improved Devils team tomorrow night. Um, they looked pretty lethargic last night, except for about the 10 minutes after they made the goaltending change. Then it was, you know, only a one bounce away from being a one goal game, but of course it never got to that point, thankfully. But um, I think everybody knows to expect a much more tightly contested game tomorrow night at PNC arena. We talked earlier in the show about Seth Jarvis and and the goal, which was phenomenal, and his work on, on the other end of the ice as well. It's going to be guys like that, right? This team is missing so much of its scoring punch uh, or expected scoring punch. It's going to be guys like Jarvis and others, the defense, are going to have to score goals in order for Carolina to keep winning. Totally. And it was great to see the defense get involved last night too. One stat that I know I was kind of hammering because it was – such an outlier was, you know, the Canes bread and butter during the regular season was getting shots on from the point. And obviously it led to a lot of goals from their defense. They led the NHL and then they only got one goal from a blue liner uh, during the first round against the Islanders. But nice to see that they got a pair from Brett Pesci and Brady Shea last night. Hopefully that continues. I do think we'll continue to see the, the shots for tips and redirections and uh, change of sceneries in the slot, if you will. So, Hopefully both of those things keep coming to fruition for Carolina. Walt Ruff, Hurricanes.com, joining us here in the Heaster Automotive Group hotline alongside Brian Murphy, Dennis Cox here with you this afternoon. We saw Vanacek have to come in for Schmid. I asked Lindy Ruff yesterday who's starting in game two, <laughs> and he kind of laughed. He didn't kind of. He did laugh at me, Walt. I think you were in the room. Did Ruff mention today who's going to get the start? Because he said, hey, ask the question tomorrow. I wasn't there. But did somebody ask him who's starting tomorrow? Because I'm curious. Well, first of all, I think it was the best question of last night's postgame press conference because, uh, Dennis, you showed some real stones in asking that. i got to be honest. I think Lindy Ruff handled it well, and it was a fair question, but uh, I don't think anybody knew that it would be coming at that juncture of things. Um, I have to be honest, I did not keep tabs on the devil side of things today, so okay. I don't have an answer. I expect that Lindy Ruff did not name a starting goaltender. I would be fairly surprised if he didn't I didn't hear about it by now but um, you know I'll be very interested to see which direction they do go because um, I thought in a, in a situation like that where it's no fault to Akira Schmid mm -hmm. you know it makes it easier to go back to him tomorrow but also I don't think Vitek Vanacek played all that poorly over the course of 38 minutes he only allowed one goal and it was from 
an unmarked Brady Shea in the patented Brady Shea circle now, if you will, at this point in the year. So um, much to the to the same tune that Carolina has two options, I think New Jersey does as well in that. We talked in the previous segment about Carolina's two options, and and at some point do you go to Ronta, uh, if not 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 because Anderson's playing poorly, but because the ske- of the way the schedule's set up. We're looking at that Sunday game, you know, coming off a late game on Friday as a possible chance to use Ranta to give Anderson a blow. Do you see something like that happening, or are you going to ride Anderson for a while here? I think we'll see Antti Ranta at some point. I think that's a really interesting situation that you brought up there. And, you know, playing Friday night, traveling Saturday, and then getting right back after it Sunday afternoon. Um, that wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him then. But Rod Brindmore kind of alluded when he met with the media this afternoon that, listen, we're going to see both guys at some point. Um, you know, if you would have told anybody after the first portion of the New York Islanders series that we would see Freddie Anderson come in for a series clinch in game six after Auntie Ronta had already earned three wins. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, it makes you scratch your head at first, but then after you look at how the team handled their goaltending situation all year long, it starts to make a little bit more sense. So um, I don't know that anything really would surprise me at this point in the Canes crease, and um, Sunday afternoon is certainly one to keep an eye on. Walt Ruff, Hurricanes.com, joining us. The Devils are known for the speed at which they play with. They have some of the fastest skaters and some of the best overall team speed in the entire NHL. I think Carolina can not only skate with this team, but they're more physical. And that's not often something we actually say about the Hurricanes. They can play a physical brand of hockey, but it's not like the 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 Islanders who tried to only who could only play a physical game. The Canes can skate with this team, and they can kind of bully them up if they want to. Yeah, I think we saw some of that last night. You're right. I don't think New Jersey showcased the speed that they have to the fullest extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But New Jersey does a really good job forechecking as well. And that was something that we didn't really see a whole lot of from them, you know, outside of that, again, 10-minute window after they made the goaltending change. So um, it all goes back to what we were talking about in the first question. And we're going to see a better New Jersey tomorrow. I think they're kind of probably going to write last night off and try and bring a better effort tomorrow night. You know, Rod Brindamore is always saying – What's done is done. You try and turn the page. It doesn't carry over to the next game. I'd be willing to bet Lindy Ruff is going to say some of those things as well and um, trying to get to more of their team's identity tomorrow night, whether that physicality from Carolina plays the same role that it did in last night's victory remains to be seen. But uh, it's definitely something worth monitoring for sure. We've seen Carolina kind of switch up their lineup a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. churn some people at the bottom of the lineup, and and obviously injuries have played a part. Do you think we'll see the same – same players for you know in, in uniform for game two, or you think we'll see some changes? Well, that's a good question too, because my gut reaction is yes, just knowing how often Rod Brindamore and the staff stick with a lineup that's as successful as it was last night. So I want to say we'll say the same, see the same lineup. Excuse me, tomorrow night. Um, but also Mackenzie McEachern brings a really interesting element because of what Dennis had just asked in the last question. He's a big body, right? Mm-hmm. And he has that ability to get in on the four check and kind of throw some weight around. So, um, again, my gut reaction to that question is that, yes, we'll see the same lineup. But, uh, again, Mackenzie McEachern brings something to the table that, you know, maybe can aid elements of the existing lineup. So if he were to draw in, it uh, wouldn't be a massive shock to me. Walt Ruff, Hurricanes.com. Follow his work there. Also, give him a follow on Twitter, at Walt Ruff. Thanks for your time. We will see you tomorrow at PNC. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's Walt Ruff joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. I feel like, again, we didn't see the, de- the best of the Devils.
last night. We just didn't. And that's fine. That's to be expected. They're going to come out much hungrier. I guess hungrier, lack of a better term. But they're going to come out faster tomorrow. They are. They're going to come out with more jump because you don't want to fall behind 0-2 against the, against the Hurricanes. But I think Carolina has the speed to skate with them. They might Devils might have a little bit overall speed, maybe a little bit more. But I think Carolina, for the most part, can skate with this Devils team because very few teams in the NHL can even skate with the Canes. Like just look at the Islander series. Islanders couldn't skate with Carolina. They just couldn't. Well, what I love about the format is is on off on off yeah. on off like it, it just the 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 series develop like their their identity like mm-hmm. a personality because you're not sometimes in the NBA you're waiting three four days in between it's games. Crazy. This is just has a the the playoffs in the NHL have this nice rhythm to it, mm-hmm. and you just develop this sort of hatred of of whoever you're playing for two weeks. And and I think we didn't see a ton of that last night because. You know, it's the first game of the series, but as this series goes on, we'll start to see the individual matchups, and we'll start to see that physicality. I think start to come out, and and the bad blood start to build. I'm just really excited. I don't. The Devils didn't go away during the regular season, right? The Canes jumped out to a huge lead in the division, and and all of a sudden you looked at the last couple of weeks of the season, and the Devils were right there in the rearview rearview mirror. I, I think the similar thing's going to happen. I don't think the Devils are just going to going to put their sticks away and go home. I, I think they're going to fight, and this series is is not going to be as easy as it looked last night. I mean, if they did put their sticks away and went home, that'd be fine. <laughs> I'd be okay with it. That'd be guess unprecedented what? too. Yeah, Easter Conference Finals. Let's go, bring it on. It's it should be a fun night tomorrow. Again, tomorrow night's game at PNC Arena is an eight o'clock game. All right, eight o'clock game. So if you're going out to PNC. A little more of that tailgate time. That's all I'm going to say. A little more of that tailgate time. The weather's been beautiful. Weather's been fantastic. Perfect night. Fire up the grill. Get the extra hour out there in the parking lot. Storm watch without a goal begins at 7 o'clock here on The Fan. Puck drop just after 8 o'clock. Again, you listen to all that right here on 99.9 The Fan. Carolina wins. We know that. We'll dive more into that game. But also, there's been some offseason moves in college basketball in terms of the transfer portal. Does Duke still need to add a piece in the portal? Brian Murphy has an idea of who they should get, or at least what they should get next. In the triangle, we're all in on the Kings, right? We're all in. The NFL draft just happened. Gosh, not even a week ago. All right. Bryce Young's the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. So there's definitely a lot of different things to talk about. But I'm seeing something already right now that's like, are we already in stupid season when it comes to sports media? This is why we're going to hit it and quit it. We're going to get to the Canes here in a sec, okay? But I want to go ahead and bring this up now because I saw this on my television and I see it on my computer on ESPN.com. You know what? We already have mock drafts. Mock drafts for 2024, Brian Murphy. So I want to hit this real quick. This is Todd McShay's ESPN. Okay, his mock draft. He has the Arizona Cardinals having the number one overall pick because of the Houston Texans. He has Texans basically finishing dead last in the NFL again. Well, Houston has their pick because Houston traded that pick to trade up to get Will Anderson this year. Moving up to number three. All right, so you're with me. Cardinals, he has... As the second pick. So the Cardinals have picks one and two. He has Tampa. He already has trades. He has Tampa Bay mock trading up from five to one to take Caleb Williams. Heisman Trophy winner. Heisman winner. Quarterback out of USC. But oh, no, no, no. The ridiculous is not done yet. 
Because guess what? He had the Colts having the third overall pick. Projected trade once again. The Washington Commanders moving up to number three to take Drake May, the quarterback from UNC. So they're basically saying they're going to go from Sam Howell to Drake May. Could you imagine that? Sam Howell being taken over by the guy that followed him and Drake May up in Washington. But the fact that we have there's so many layers to this. <laughs> there's so many layers to this. Well, I think, I mean, this is what we're going to hear all football season, right? I, sure. I know right now it's hockey season and, and the, the draft is over, but this college football season in this area is, is going to be a lot about Drake May and yeah. Drake May's Heisman Trophy chances, Drake May's draft potential. Yeah. Uh, Drake May doesn't have Josh Downs anymore. But no. He's got a lot of guys out of the transfer portal, including Tez Walker, who's gotten a lot of a lot of rave reviews after spring ball. Does he have, you know, will there be enough weapons? Will they be able to protect Drake May? Will he take a step forward with a new coaching staff? He has a new offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey. I mean, all eyes are on Drake May, and not just from us, from the NFL guys. Because mm-hmm. we heard a lot of talk before this draft that Caleb Williams and Drake May, if they were in this draft, would have been the top two quarterbacks taken. Potentially, yeah. Well, along with Bryce Young, like th- it could have been a really, really different draft had those guys been eligible to come out and play. I, uh, we, you know, we talked with Joe Person uh, yeah. from the Athletic about Bryce Young and how slight he is, mm-hmm. uh, just his body, not just his height, but but his body build. Drake May is not slight. He's six four, two twenty. I have not seen Caleb Williams up close, but I have seen Drake May, and and every time I see him, I'm a little stunned at how big he is. Yeah, he is. He is no joke when it comes to his size. All right. But still, the fact that we have mock drafts and trades already for 2024 when we haven't even played one down of football in 2023. All right, let's quit that before I get off the rails. I hit it so good. Let's hit this. Kane's got that win last night in game number one. It's the start that they needed to the series, right? It's exactly what they needed against a Devils team that was coming off seven games that only have one day in between that game seven win over the New York Rangers and into game one where Carolina had four days. They got to literally, those, those guys got to sit at home on the weekend, sit at home on Saturday, sit at home on Sunday, feed up, relaxed. Even Jordan Martin said yesterday, it's like, yeah, we were licking our chops, we were chomping at the bit because we were in the mindset like, hey, it's, it's time to play a game again. And they had two good days of practice. But here is Rob Brindamore, head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, on starting off the series well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was obviously the way you want to do it. Um, you know, I think, I haven't heard what they said, but they're coming off an emotional series, seven games against the Rangers, all the hype, and then had to turn around and come right back at it, and we're sitting sitting here resting. So I was a little bit concerned that maybe the layoff would, I don't know how we were going to respond, but you could see we had a little more legs, and, you know, they got going as the game went on, but that's probably what happened there, so... Credit to the guys. We came ready to go. I don't want to be the cold water guy, but it's one game. Like, we overreact to, to one game all the time. We, we do it whenever there's playoffs, right? That's that's all we have to go on. The Canes look like by far the better team. Uh, dominated game one. But yeah. but we've seen these are these are long series. They mm-hmm. play out. The, the Devils were down 2-0 to the Rangers. Came back and won that series in seven. Uh, the Panthers were down 3-1 to the Bruins. The best team in hockey came back and won that series. These are these are long series. Certainly the exact start you need if you're Carolina, but long time to go. All right, let's quit that. And let's hit this. Still, still sticking with the Carolina Hurricanes, though. Seth Jarvis is awesome. 
He was so good last night. I hear something actually I actually do want to say about Seth Jarvis and why he's been so endearing to fans. Because he shows personality. Because sometimes like we, we see it in hockey with some guys in the sense of it's a, it's a lunch pail mentality. They literally call their time on the ice a shift. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really is like you're punching in the clock. It's it's a lunch pail mentality, and it the with hockey, it's oftentimes the mindset of I'm doing my like I have my role, my team job. This is my job in my role. This is my shift. This is what I have to do. But you can still have personality doing that. That's something I thought, and for a while, hockey has lacked in terms of some of its young players showing off some of the personality. Seth Jarvis has an abundance of charisma and it's so fun to see him interacting with fans and the way he interacts with media he's it's very contagious what he does and he's a great player and he showed it last night he's 21 years old yeah i mean that's the amazing part he's he's 21 years old he's got three goals in seven games already Mm -hmm. he's in his second season i mean i feel like this is a guy who who could be taking that next step yeah you know we see it all the time in sports where a young player finally gets an opportunity and kind of busts out on the national scene. I think we could be seeing that from Seth Jarvis, a young player kind of busting out on the national scene, becoming one of the, the most important players on the Hurricanes. And he had, a, the I would say, probably the play of the game last night. Carolina Hurricanes were up one nothing in the first period, and after Brett Pesci scored the first goal, Jarvis on the defensive end just strips the puck away from Ryan Graves, chips it around him, and just dusts him. Like, seriously, just went into hyperspace and just skates down the ice and, and, and beats Schmid high to the blocker side and just an absolute phenomenal goal. But it started with him on defense yesterday. It's like, oh, that's basically the way the play worked. It's like a defensive back with a pick six. Right. That's kind of what it was. Is that He basically had like a pick six yesterday. It was just a phenomenal game from him all around. When you see that speed, you know, the, the fact that he was able to pull away from yeah. guys chasing him, that, that's impressive. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. We're going to get back to the Canes in a moment. Let's let's hit this. Alabama baseball fired their head coach, okay? They fired their head coach, Brad Bohannon, because of potentially betting on games, a suspicious betting involving Alabama baseball. This stems back to their game this past Friday against LSU, and it was Ohio, sportsbooks in Ohio, that caught this. Yeah, th- this is one of the big ca- the big arguments that proponents of sports gambling say. They sure. say, in a regulated market, we're going to find uh, suspicious activity. Mm-hmm. In an unregulated market, when these bets are being cast overseas, we, we don't have access to that information. No, you don't. And so, That's where fixing comes in, by the way. Right. So unregulated means the potential to fix sporting events. And, and so we've seen a lot of this, right? We've seen NFL players suspended because mm-hmm. they can track where bets are coming from. Apparently bets were being made in NFL locker rooms, which is a no, no Yeah. here. Now with this situation, we have suspicious gamble, suspicious wagers. Like I got to imagine the Alabama LSU baseball game. Isn't attracting a ton of money, right? From no. gamblers. It's probably not attracting a ton of money in, in Ohio from gamblers. And so all of a sudden the Ohio gambling regulators see, the sports, the you know, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's of the world see suspicious activity. Lots of money all of a sudden being placed on LSU baseball in Ohio. Alarm bells go off. They do some investigating. Three days later, the coach at Alabama is fired. I mean, th- this is working like it should work, or at least working as proponents of this say it will work. 
Where does sports betting in the state of North Carolina currently stand? I believe you know Vermont has passed, correct? Yeah, Vermont today, uh, one of their chambers passed it. I believe it's going to head to the governor here shortly. Okay. They are on the same timeline as North Carolina. If they do pass this, give final approval, they would start in January. Okay. Uh, under the North Carolina bill that passed the House, if we do get sports gambling, it would start in January. So we're on the same timeline. Uh, right now, the House bill has passed. It's sitting in the Senate awaiting action. I think we're about a week, a week and a half away from seeing the Senate start to move on that. Okay, so who do we need to contact to be like, <laughs> can we just go and get this done now? Can we go and get this done now? Now, something that you had mentioned a little bit ago about not only just mobile sports betting, but we might even see, was it video slots and casinos? being able to be established in the state of North Carolina other than what we currently see on native reservations? Yeah, I've written about this a couple times at, at WRL.com. There okay. is a chance uh, the Senate is at least considering okay. uh, expanding casinos in the state. Right now there's only three full casinos. They're all on tribal land. Uh, potentially giving approval to some economically distressed counties to build casinos, uh, also allowing video lottery terminals as well as mobile sports gambling, sort of going all in on gambling. Go all in on it. I, I don't uh, have a great sense if that's going to happen, but I do know those conversations are taking place. There's a possibility that it will get rolled out in the state budget, in the Senate's budget, which is expected to come out the week of May 15th. Uh, so, so keep an eye on that. All right. Can we just go and put a casino right in the middle of, like, <laughs> between, like, basically where Fayetteville, Charlotte, Raleigh, and Greensboro, just put one in the middle. So basically, like Alamance, like Albemarle County, just put one right there in Albemarle County, so it's equidistant from all those places. That's that's actually why I want to see. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. Uh, well, I mean, are you a smart guy? Is is Hunter Dickinson a smart guy to transfer to Kansas? Kansas might be the number one team overall coming uh, preseason number one overall. Not that that means anything, <laughs> as we've learned here recently. But Hunter Dickinson is transferring from Michigan to Kansas. Transfer portal's not done, though, Brian. Yeah, well, he's he was the number one player in the transfer portal sure. by most things. It averaged 18 and a half points, nine rebounds a game for That's Michigan. Good. Going to Kansas, where they have maybe the best point guard in the country. Uh, they've got a, a stacked roster. I think it's going to be between them and Duke as to who the number one team in the preseason is. And we, we've, we know what that's worth. Um, but Duke, I don't think is I don't think Carolina's done in the portal. I don't no. think Duke's done. I don't think NC State's done. There is still more portal activity to happen. Steve Wiseman of the News and Observer uh, wrote a story about Duke's interest in, in a big man out of Utah Valley. Okay. Um, I think both North Carolina and Duke need a a rim runner, a rim protector. Um, to you know, they both have big men, Baycott. Uh, for for UNC, Filipowski for Duke, but I think they need that rim protector, and and this is the beauty of the transfer portal. So basically, replace Derek Lively. Yeah, yes. What Derek Lively was able to do for that Duke Blue Devils team, his ability to protect the rim. He doesn't need offensive plays run for him. Mm -hmm. He grabs a bunch of rebounds and he alters shots on the other end. I think that's what you're looking for. Okay. I, th I think Carolina could use somebody like that too. He might have to play four. That guy might have to play four for Carolina, but sure. but Baycott is not a necessarily a rim protector or a rim runner type, and so if Carolina could get an athletic four that can maybe ease the burden on Baycott, you know, blocking shots, doing stuff down low, I think that'd be helpful too. This is the beauty of the transfer portal, yeah. right? I need a big guy who can protect the rim. 
Let, let me see who's in the transfer portal, and I can have him here on campus in a couple of weeks. I swear the transfer portal sounds more and more like online dating the more that I hear about <laughs> it. It really does. What do you need, Dennis? Well, what are you looking for? I already found what I need. <laughs> I have found it. You need a good three-point shooting oh. three-man? That's that's in the portal. We'll go get that. I need, I need a stretch for <laughs> whatever it is. It's just it's crazy how that's just how all that stuff works. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. You have got to be kidding me. We t- <laughs> Shout outs to Roy. We talked to Joe Person of the Athletic earlier on this afternoon. If you missed that conversation, check it out on the best of the 99.9 The Fan podcast. You said something that you stated. You don't think the Panthers have done enough this offseason. I don't. I mean, I, I know that there was some conversation on this show that the, the Panthers have great depth at wide receiver. Yeah, that's something Chris Lee had brought to me. We, we, Chris Lee and I have differing opinions on that because he feels that once you get past the two starters, which right now are projected to be Thielen and DJ Chark, is that there is good quality after that. I was, I think, I don't see the high end. That's enough. What, that's what I worry about. I don't see, a, I don't see a number one on the roster. I don't either, and I don't really see a high end two. I mean, Thielen is is older, uh, Chark is developing. We'll see what Mingo, the second round pick, turns yeah, into. That, but that's the big question mark. But I don't see that that. Jamar Chase, that Justin Jefferson, that that Stephon Diggs. I don't. And now look, those guys are hard to come by. I'm, oh, for sure. I mean, you can't just draft <laughs> Devontae Smith every year because otherwise everyone would have them. Right. But I, I look at it and say, where are the playmakers? I mean, you got mm-hmm. rid of Christian McCaffrey. You got rid of DJ Moore. I understand why you, you, those trades were made, but you've replaced them. My, is Miles Sanders enough talent? Is Adam Thielen? Is DJ Chark? You got Hayden Hurst at tight end. That might be a nice piece. He's got to stay on the field. Yeah. I. I so much of what the Panthers are trying to do is built on Bryce Young. I look around and say, uh, I don't I don't know if they've given him enough weapons for him to to truly be successful in year one. I think the the way the NFC South is shaped up though, that they can make a run for the NFC South title. Because uh, honestly, okay, Atlanta's made a bunch of big offseason moves. I think they spent over two hundred million dollars of commitments in terms of contracts and free agency. They got Bajan Robinson <laughs> Some may say is actually was the best player in this draft. They've taken the opposite approach. They've built a great infrastructure around a quarterback that we're not sure about, right? In yeah. Desmond Ritter, they've got they've got Kyle Pitts, they got Drake London, they've got Bijan Robinson. They've built the the skill players, and now they're saying, all right, well, a quarterback should be able to work with this. The Panthers have kind of gone the other way. They've got the quarterback, and they say, well, you got to make these average skill players better. I think they. Some of them, I would say, probably are above average. All right, I would say, like, Miles Sanders is above average, above replacement level. Same thing with Hayden Hurst. Thielen's good. Chark, when he's healthy, can actually be good, but that's the problem. He's never always fully healthy. But I think the staff, the way the staff has been established as well, is that there's no reason why this young young guy should fail. Now, he's gonna definitely going to take his lumps for sure. It's not a complete piece yet, but when you're starting over, you're not going to be complete in year one. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. Let's get back to game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals last night between the Canes and the Devils. Canes get the win. Adam Gold, host of Stormwatch, as well as the Canes Corner podcast, the morning after podcast available every morning after a Canes win, wherever you get your podcast, sponsored by the Aluminum Company in North Carolina. He gives us two minutes of gold. Two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes. Let's do that hockey. 
got two minutes for what we saw last night as the Hurricanes take a 1-0 lead in the series over the New Jersey Devils. We are all brought to you by Dysart Willis, defending people the right way, DysartWillis.com. And you know who defended the right way last night? Seth Bleeping Jarvis defended the right way. Hughes backhand pass out in front and an opportunity that can't be finished by Brat. Oh, he was all alone, side of the net. Seth Jarvis just saved a goal. Look, it was a 200-foot game for number 24. We think of him only as an offensive guy, but lo and behold, who's part of the penalty kill these days? Lo and behold, who's playing physical, throwing his 5'10", 180-pound body? Maybe. Around like it's crazy. He's a nut, but he is a great player and a two-way player, and actually here, defense leads to offense. Carolina comes up with a turnover, and it's Smith score! Oh, mercy, Seth Jarvis, coast to coast, two it was Jarvis's defensive play on the wall. Then he got the puck back, chipped it past Ryan Graves. He was off to the races, and he beat Akira Schmidt. A little uh, glove side high just inside the right post, and it was 2-0 Carolina. He was dynamite last night. Far be it for me to figure out why he wasn't one of the three stars in the building. He was the best player in the game. You know who was right behind him? Sebastian Ajo, who did everything but score. That line with Stefan Nason was excellent. And before we get carried away, let's keep this in mind. It was just one game. And in this series against the Devils, it's going to be decided by which team gets to their four-checking game first. Carolina won the race. A dominant first period. The Devils kind of squeezed him in the middle of the second period, and that got the game somewhat questionable. But you know what turned it around? Carolina's penalty kill. They had to kill off a Devils power play with about four and a half minutes left in the second. And once they did that, they were back home. Carolina looked great last night. Seth Jarvis was the best player. Hey, and Freddie Anderson has had two really good performances in a row. Things are looking up. Now all you got to do is go and do it again and again and again. I got two minutes. That's two minutes thanks to our friends at Dysart Willis. High stakes litigation and defense. DysartWillis.com Big thanks to Adam Gold for that and then it was phenomenal game last night like he mentioned I actually am surprised that Seth Jarvis wasn't one of the three stars but that just goes to show you how overall how well they played last night and as we quit two minutes of gold we continue on with hockey related things we gave away ten thousand dollars earlier today (laughs) Brian Murphy that's right big thanks to our friends at Carolina Ford dealers built for proud we had our 10k playoff payout we gave away a pair of tickets to tomorrow's game two and all five of our contestants had a shot, one shot, a one-timer from far blue line to goal inside a small target. We gave away 10000 bucks to Jacob. Congratulations, Jacob, who hit the target, who nailed it, found the back of the net, through that tiny hole. <laughs> That's amazing. But it was awesome. It was, it was at Invisalign Arena earlier today out in Morrisville where the Carolina Hurricanes practice. So big shout-outs to Jacob. Also, so Nick was the winner of our – two of our two tickets but we decided after jacob had won won the money everyone had their one shot so jacob took all 10 grand hey you know what we're gonna do maybe like a closest to the target we're gonna give away some other stuff right tell him to bring me my money that's right that's what jacob basically said bring me that money wrote him that check and sure enough from your account 
No, 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 no. <laughs> That's funny. I wish. Uh, no, not my money. That's why I'm okay giving it all away. I'll give away more. I'll give away anyone's money. That's fine by me. But we also decided to do closest to the target just to kind of see, all right, let's give away some other stuff. Well, sure enough, one of our other contestants, Rusty, he hits it too. Like, he scores as well. Again, this is like a 115 or so foot shot. And Rusty ends up hitting as well. So we're definitely going to hook up Rusty with some other stuff. So of our five contestants, everyone walked away with something. Everyone got a puck, a hat, an Arctic tumbler. Um, and then, obviously, we had the three major prizes that we gave away on top, uh, on top of that for our five contestants as well. It was super fun over there in Visalign. So this is why also Canes fans and all you listeners out there, stay tuned in because when the Canes get past the Devils, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. And then we get to the Stanley Cup Finals. We're doing it again. We're giving away all the cash, Brian Murphy. Did you take a shot? I did. How close did you get? I hit the target. Okay. It's uh, Trust me, it's not easy. And I play hockey. It's not easy. No, it doesn't sound easy. It's, it's not. A, it's like the equivalent of hitting a three-quarter court shot in basketball? No, I take better odds on a three-quarter court shot. And all This is like you get one shot at hitting a hole in one. Right. Oh, From yeah. like 150 okay. yards out. That's a good out. way. That's a good 150 way yards at. out. Here's the club. No practice swings. Go hit a hole in one. Okay. That's basically what they did. And he did it. Two guys did it. it. Two guys did it, but we only gave away 10 grand (laughs) to one of them. So big shout out to Jacob and everyone that that tuned in and listened as well for that. That's Brian Murphy. Dennis Cox here with you. Graham Hill producing us today. That's been hit it and quit it. So let's let's quit hit it and quit it. Do you know there's a big soccer tournament coming in a wake med? I do. By I the have way, tickets. It's I have tickets to this thing. The end of this month and into early June, it's called the soccer tournament. So people may have heard of the basketball tournament, which is a million-dollar stakes, winner-take-all basketball tournament where three on three. No, the, no, no, the, the, that's, no, it's just a five-on-five. Five. The basketball tournament's a five-on-five. Okay, five. all yes, right. Yes, it's a five-on-five. Five. That's different than, like, the big three that Ice Cube and stuff does. But, no, that the – the soccer tournament is coming to Wake Med. Now, they're going to do it a little different style. It's a seven-on-seven seven right. soccer. So, faster style game, faster moving. Could you imagine Wrexham Soccer Club, known for their series on FX and Hulu, Ryan Reynolds, one of the co-owners of the franchise out there in Wales, Wrexham Soccer Club, going against members of the U.S. Women's National Team? Could you imagine that happening? No. Well, it's, it's going to be – well, you better because it's going to be a reality because it's actually going to be taking place at Wake Med Soccer Park coming up later this month. We're going to talk to the founder of the soccer tournament, John Mugar. He's going to join us to tell us, hey, did you fix the ballot so the U.S. women's team can play Wrexham? Could you imagine, though, winner-take-call million-dollar tournament? Well, that's what we're going to have with the soccer tournament that's coming to Carrie's Wake Med Soccer Park is a 32-team field. Group pairings were announced today. You can actually find that over on WRELsportsfan.com. Again, a winner-take-all 7v7 World Soccer Championship playing its inaugural event at Wake Med. That's when we bring on the founder, John Bugar, joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline alongside Brian Murphy, Dennis Coxer with you. John, how did this event actually come about? You're the founder of this what? Where did the idea of this come from? How did this idea come about? And how were you able to garner so much interest so early on from so many national clubs? 
Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, we've been doing the basketball tournament for 10 years now, which mm-hmm. is the million-dollar winner-take-all tournament in the summer. And I got hit up through LinkedIn maybe a year and a half ago by some former college soccer players who played at University of Virginia, Mike Volk, Henry Temba. Okay. And they said, have you ever thought about doing this for soccer, uh, more specifically 7v7? Um, and we have thought about doing it in all sports, but the idea of 7v7 never really occurred to me. And the more we looked into it, the more we talked to, to, uh, to that group, the more we liked it and thought it was a great opportunity and a great time to, to jump into it. So, seven on seven, will be on a little smaller field out there at the at Wake Med Soccer Park in Cary, yep. or he's going to be on a full full length field. Exactly, it's it's a, about half the size of a normal field if you flipped it perpendicularly. Okay, so, so smaller. We, we've field. been testing games, smaller field. We've been testing a lot of games um, outdoor, uh, indoors up here. Uh, we're in the Northeast, and we've been finding that our games are about an hour long under our rule set. We'll see about five to ten, maybe more goals a game. Okay. So it's faster paced, uh, very skill-oriented. Players love playing it, and they've been playing it in developmental settings and in practice settings, so they all love seven-on-seven. Seven. Is this going to have an Elam ending like the basketball tournament does where you get to a certain point in the game and you say, you know, uh, first one to ten goals wins? You nailed it. Uh, we're we're going to do exactly that. We're calling it target score time. Okay. We have two two 20-minute halves. At the end of the second 20-minute half, we set a target score, which is the leading team score plus one. So five to four at the end of the second half, the target score becomes six. First team to six wins the game. And during target score time, we are going to pull a player off the field for each team every five minutes. So it'll go down from 7v7 to 6v6 to 5v5, et cetera. So you could potentially have a 1v1. <laughs> You could potentially you can have a one v one. At that point, yeah, you can get them. At that point, if no one scores, it just it feels empty, and just is that, is that how that works? <laughs> yeah, it's just fans. It's zero v zero at some point, and just fans looking just, out at the ball. Just fans. I appreciate that. John Bagar <laughs> joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. What I find amazing, John, is the is the quality of teams that have yes. have signed up for this. Uh, run us through some of these. I mean, we're talking about. Some major clubs in Europe, uh, obviously lots of American players. I've seen a, a couple different teams of, of former national team players on the men's side as well as a, a women's team. That's the part that really caught us off guard. We announced it October 11th. We had no idea what to expect. We threw a million dollars out there saying anybody can come play for it. We had 32 spots in the tournament. Over 450 teams applied. Wow. And slowly but surely, over the course of the following months, we amassed this incredible roster of, of clubs that includes West Ham United out of EPL. Their Legends team will come. Wolverhampton out of EPL, Legends and Academy players. Wrexham, same thing, uh, which is known for Ryan Reynolds' fame. Um, and then we have 21 former national team members, U.S. national team members on different teams, one of them being the U.S. women's former team, which is captained by Heather O'Reilly, it includes Christine Lilly, Lori Lindsay, Pat Whitehill. So it's, it's a great mix of, of players um, that everybody will know and recognize. Yeah, and Clem Dempsey has a team out there. But there also, there's some former NFL guys like Chad Ochocinco is playing in this as well. There's just a, a all around just a, a big crop of athletes. Now, I know with the basketball tournament, we have seen games on ESPN. 
for people that can't make it out to the event against June one versus uh, June one through June fourth out at Wake Med Soccer Park, have you guys landed a, a TV deal or maybe a streaming platform in order for people to watch these contests? We have, but we haven't announced it yet. So, so you have a chance right now, John. You have a chance right now. Break the news. Yeah. (laughs) Stay tuned to our socials for that. Um, But, yeah, we we do have that. I mean, certainly there's a million-dollar winner-take-all game on Sunday, June 4th, which will be at 3 p.m., and that will be on TV. Um, But we're almost sold out at, at Cary, too, so. It'll be a tough ticket. Well, I know my wife bought tickets, but our whole family's going out on, on the Saturday, which is, is the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Um, I, I was looking at the website, and, and there were different price points for different teams to get in, but the 32nd team said it would be auctioned off to the highest bidder. Do we, do we know who the 32nd team to get in was? The 32nd team was Como 1907, which is a, a Serie B team. Uh, out of Italy, and we we did not do the auction this year, despite the the website. Um, okay, but they're, they're a fantastic club. They they actually have a player, Seth Fabregas, playing for them, who's one of the most uh, decorated soccer players ever in the history of the world. Um, he just retired from Premier League at 34 years old. He's going to play for them and coach it. Uh, it's also a club co-owned by Thierry Henry. It's it's an incredible team. So that's why we definitely wanted them in. When you look at the teams you had to had, you said you got over 400 applications for teams. When you look at the teams you had to not let into this thing, did you think about going to 64 already, or or is 32 a good number in some ways? Yeah, as we look about, you know, look look to next year. The World Cup is expanding to 48 teams mm-hmm. in 2026 when it's in the U.S. So we're we're obviously uh, thinking about an expansion beyond 32 teams. John McGar, founder of the soccer tournament, also founder of the basketball tournament, joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. The relationship in terms of with Wake Med Soccer Park, how'd that come about? Why was Wake Med Soccer Park chosen? There's a lot of facilities out there that have a lot of fields. I know Wake Med has pretty much all grass fields. How did Wake Med end up being chosen? Did Wake Med Soccer Park have to bid for this, or did you all approach them? No, we we basically bid. For it, um, okay. we were we were flying around looking for the highest quality surfaces uh, and complex in on the East Coast, and there are not many that can match, uh, if any, Wake Med. So to have that many, we knew we wanted to be on grass. Players do not want to play on turf for yep. player safety reasons, for quality of play, and that was the premier setup that we could find. So we knew it was a great fit right when we saw it. So what can people expect when they get there? Obviously, other than seeing the 7v7 action itself, what else is going to be available for fans that attend? It's like the U.S. Open in tennis. Like It's very up close and personal. It's a festival atmosphere. The main stadium will be one thing with feature teams, but there will also be a lot of games going on at the same time. So you get up close and personal with players and teams in a way that you have never had the opportunity to do before. Like, women's national team is coached by Mia Hamm. Yeah. Uh, Clint Dempsey's coaching his team. Guys like Seth Fabregas will be there. It's just an opportunity. Ocho Cinco. I mean, the, the names go on. Noah Beck, on and on and on. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for, um, for, for fans to get up close and personal in a way they haven't before in the sport of soccer. June 1st through June 4th at Wake Med Soccer Park. Go to thetournament.com if you do want to buy tickets. John McGar, the founder of the basketball tournament and the soccer tournament, thank you so much for joining us. And best of luck. We hope this event 
not only goes well, but that it keeps coming back every single year to Wake Med Soccer Park right here in our backyard. Thanks so much, and we'll see you at the quarterfinals. Thank you much. I, I'm very much looking forward to checking this out. This is going to be a fun thing to do. Now, this might be right in the middle of a Canes playoff run, <laughs> so I have to pick and choose the times that we go, but this is a very unique event, a 32-team 7-on-7 tournament with the, the names that he mentioned, former U.S. men's national teams players and women's national teams players, some big-time international soccer clubs. Yeah, This, I, I, this is truly a, a, a unique first-time thing. The, the ability to find these events, cr- create these events, and, and put them at, at times in the calendar when not much else is going on is, is a brilliant idea. 